Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're excited to be joined by Kendall Barger, a medical ICU nurse at UVA Health, for a conversation about her experience on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic, which she and some of her colleagues have shared online as part of UVA's Voices from the COVID Unit blog series. And so with that introduction, welcome to the program, Kendall. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, we do appreciate your time. Before we discuss your experience providing direct patient care, including to those who have been made critically ill by the coronavirus, I want to start just by introducing you a little bit more to the audience. If you would, could you just tell tell me a little bit about what inspired your work in healthcare and, and uh, what put you on the path to becoming a nurse? Sure. I have been a nurse my whole career at UVA, so I'm coming up on six years. I... <laughs> It's kind of a funny thing, but I got into nursing because it was the only thing I didn't not want to do. So I printed off a bunch of majors and that one sort of lasted all of the black streaks. We're like, I'm not doing that. I don't Mm want to do that. And I also, I'm a Christian. I've always wanted to do, for my adult life at least, have wanted to do overseas missions work in the third world. And so medicine seems like a good way to care for people. And so nursing seems like a great opportunity there. And so here I am. Okay. Well, listen, process of elimination, you know, is not the worst way to come to a decision. So that's okay. How, it has worked out well. Exactly. How have we arrived there? As long as we arrive uh, at the right place for us, that's, that's the important thing. Do you wish you could focus on practicing medicine without all the distractions? Covaris is here to help. As a leader in medical professional liability insurance with more than 45 years experience, Covaris provides insurance protection with data-driven predictive modeling to help you mitigate the risk of claims. By combining insurance protection with risk analytic services, you can reduce distractions and focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Covaris is reinventing what you should expect from your medical professional liability provider. Find out all Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries, Boston, Massachusetts. So as I mentioned, Kendall, you're one of several caregivers who are featured as part of a recently published UVA Health blog series called Voices from the COVID Unit, featuring firsthand accounts from frontline nurses. In your installment, you shared some pretty heartrending stories about patients stricken with this deadly virus, their families, and your own emotional journey witnessing all of that. One thing you wrote that really stands out to me is, is this quote from the post. It says, I didn't have a ton of room to feel things at the time. As you approach sharing your story for this series, I wonder if you could tell me about the process of looking back at your personal journal and taking stock of compartmentalizing your own feelings while caring for seriously ill patients, many of them separated from family couldn't visit for their own safety, and just the totality of what I have to imagine was an arduous and emotionally draining experience? Uh, Sure, that's a big, big question. It was a pretty tumultuous time for everyone, but particularly in healthcare, looking back now, especially, I'm pretty struck by how many unknowns there were. I tell the story of taking a nap for night shift that was three or four hours and I woke up and had four policy emails all changing the policy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like an an individual policy because things were just that in flux like there's just so much that we didn't know and so we were 
kind of chasing this moving target of wanting to offer people the best care and not even really knowing what the best care was. And so sort of that component in all parts of life. And so there's a quality that tends to help you do better in the ICU of sort of like shutting down and driving is the way that I describe it. And so you sort of turn off the distractions and you just make it happen and it helps you get through emergencies. And then you collect your thoughts and you kind of reevaluate as a team and move forward after the acute event is passed. And I feel like that really characterized a lot of the beginning of COVID for me was like, we have this giant emergency. We don't know what's going on and we need to be able to keep it together to make this happen. And I also wanted to keep it together for my coworkers in a lot of ways. And so that ended up looking like you sort of turn off the feelings and you turn off the like sort of implications of I'm working and I don't know that this mask works and I might get COVID and what are the complications of that? And you just have to choose to say, I'm making that choice and we're going to take steps forward and it's going to be what it is. And so for me, a lot of times that means that you cope with the response of that later. And so I was just writing down people's stories at the end of the day to process or really not even to process, just to have them written down and say like, this is, this is a person that is invaluable that I met that no one else is going to meet again because a lot of them passed away. Um, and then some of them who did get to go home, they still impacted me and they impacted my coworkers and I wanted to honor them in that way. And I do like to write. And so it just sort of fit that. And so I started writing them down. And then one day I like finished, I wrote one from the day that day and I went back and read and it just said all these things that I couldn't have even put words to because I was just like working to keep everyone moving myself, the patient, my coworkers and trying to be present and consistent. And then like went back and read and just the, the isolation and the loneliness of the patients, of the staff, of, of like, I feel like the world in a lot of senses, like people are at home, people are at work, but that sort of societal sense, especially true for COVID patients, because they can't have visitors. A lot of times their families are sick too. And some of those themes just kept rising up. And even the things that a lot of my coworkers went above and beyond to do made it into the stories. And I'm so honored to work with them and honored to know them and learn from them. And so it was really cool to have some of that written down too, to say like these things that you do, they were not in vain. They were not a waste. They really honored these patients, even with no one else got to see them or experience them. Well, that's really a powerful testimony. And I appreciate you sharing that and talking about just the uncertainty of the situation and the resolve it required to just say, I don't know what's coming next, but I know what my responsibility and my duty is, and that's that's what I'm going to focus on, and that's caring for patients. So a salute to you and your colleagues. You mentioned journaling. You also mentioned your Christian faith. How did that help sustain you during this period of, as I just mentioned, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of change, a lot of evolution that was happening very quickly because of how fluid the dynamics were? Yeah, um, I think it was, it was the thing that got me through was my faith in Jesus. I think like the Bible tells us that he, that God is a hope that does not disappoint us. And so I feel like for me, it was this like secure, sure faith that I have a relationship with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection that is not going to change. Even if I get COVID, even if the whole world falls apart, I know who he is and that doesn't fade away. And so I feel like that was hope. People really need hope. And so I think for me, that was like a steady hope. And it's not that it wasn't hard or difficult or whatever. It was that the, the base was there. And so it was sustainable. 
Understood. Stories like yours are, are so powerful because they can really help put a human face on the devastation caused by this virus, particularly for people who don't work in a hospital setting and haven't seen the things that you've witnessed. Right now, as you know, we're seeing a new surge in cases and hospitalizations. And I wonder what appeal would you make to people who haven't been vaccinated or who perhaps don't take the virus seriously? In other words, how would you try to convince a skeptic based on your real-world experience that being dismissive of the COVID-19 threat is a dangerous thing? I always encourage people to make wise decisions. I think there's good data, and so I encourage people to find it in a way that's accessible for them, so not everybody wants to read like a full paper, but find it and make a decision for themselves. If somebody reads the data, thinks through it, and makes a decision that's different from mine, then I respect that, but I encourage people to like look into the data on the vaccine. I think it's very favorable and I recommend it to everyone that I love. But I I don't know. I think also I've learned with COVID you can't convince people that don't want to hear you. And mm-hmm. so I try to encourage people to be wise, to do their own research. I think there's like a lot of mistrust in the atmosphere, whether it's whatever side you land on, there's a lot of mistrust. And so I just recommend people go to the source and decide for yourself. And I think Like when I went to the source and decided for myself, I chose to get the vaccine and I'm so grateful for it. And I recommend it to everyone that I love. But if you can make a calculated decision and you land on the other side, that's fine. But I just think people should be wise in the way that they do it. Absolutely. Good advice. Last spring, you received a a Daisy Foundation Award. These are awards presented in recognition of exceptional nursing. And there was a testimonial attached to the announcement of you receiving the award. It was from the sibling of a COVID patient you cared for. And what was shared was some highlights about how you sat by this patient's bedside and read to this patient personal notes from friends and families and played this patient music. Um, And the quote in this testimonial was that because you felt it was your duty to do everything within your power to have an impact on this patient's care, that really is very, very high praise. And when you hear things like that, especially having gone through the 18-month ordeal that we've just been talking about. What's your reaction? What sense of gratification or accomplishment or other emotion do you have when when you hear that kind of praise about yourself? I still tear up when I think about that. Um, So that happens. I think it's deeply an honor. Like I, I wish that this had not let COVID, the entire pandemic had never happened. And I wish, you know, so many things that just, like we are where we are, but I think it it's just an honor and I have learned and grown next to some incredible people. The board nurses that I work with and the physicians and respiratory therapists are exceptional. And so I feel like I have just been so blessed to receive a lot of support and encouragement. And so the fact that I get the honor to love and care for people and some of the worst times, if not the worst time of their life is like a gift to me. And so it feels like the love that God has given me, I get to give to other people. And so it's just the fact that it means something to them is really special because it's an honor for me to get to do it too. Well, listen, I appreciate you being so candid and vulnerable and and talking about some uh, emotionally heavy topics. And now that we have tackled some of that serious stuff, I do have a few more lighthearted questions to to lighten the mood a little bit, to give our listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. The first, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be? Oh, whoa. What a good question. Um, French fries. 
Maybe okay. chicken tenders. I have not actually thought about this. What a disappointment. Oh, there's a peanut butter chocolate pie, that recipe from Pioneer Woman. Mm-hmm. That is exceptional. And I think I would like to have that. I, I watch that show and my, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me for watching that show. So, <laughs> Okay, the peanut butter chocolate pie, you might have seen it in real time, but it's fantastic. If you like, uh, and this is not quite the same, but this is an, a plug alert, unsolicited plug alert. But um, if you've ever been to the uh, Virginia Diner, which is in Waverly, Waverly, Wakefield, um, yes. uh, they have, if you like pecan pie or pecan pie, depending on the pronunciation you prefer, they have uh, a version of that made with peanuts called peanut pie. And it's really fantastic. So they don't have the chocolate in it, but it's, it's really good um, if you like that kind of thing. Sounds great. <laughs> the next question for you is, we are still obviously in the midst of the pandemic, and as I mentioned, uh, unfortunately, hospitalization numbers are rising across the Commonwealth and across the nation. But when we get to the other side of this, what is one post-COVID thing you're most looking forward to being able to do? Ooh, I actually am one of those people who loves to be in rooms full of people they don't know, which I think is like a funny a lot of people either end up on like, oh, yeah, that's great, or no, that sounds terrible. But I love that. So I'm looking forward to being like maskless in a room full of people I don't know who are not nervous about everybody else in the room talking, like okay. getting to know them. I think that sounds great. Okay, <laughs> cool. And then finally, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice, in your case, the Bible. So other than that... <laughs> What are your three Ooh. entertainment survival kit picks? Oh, man. This is a deep question. I should have pre-planned. <laughs> okay, the movie I think is easier. The Prestige mm-hmm. is my favorite movie. A real magician tries to invent something new. God. <laughs> something that other magicians will scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick. Yes, you I do. So what are they going to remember me for? Album. Oh, man. I don't know, because that's hard. You can't get tired of it if you're going to keep listening to it. I think I'm mm, in between. There's a Rend Collective album that I really like. And then there is an, like a 2000s punk band called Hawk Nelson, and they're like initial album I really like. And then book. I feel like I'm just going to go with my favorite book, which I think I would have regrets about like a week in. I think I would have regrets that I didn't pick better, but Pride and Prejudice is my favorite book. Okay. That's Bible. So. Okay. Very good. Well, listen, you mentioned the prestige. I'll give you two recommendations here. Great. So the prestige, a Christopher Nolan film. Have you seen Tenet, the newest one that he did, which came out probably this time last year? I have not. So it's really a brain puzzle that just has sort of wormed its way into my head. And Mm -hmm. I have probably watched that movie five or six times just to see if the physics and the logic of the movie actually work. I won't spoil it for you, and I think it's probably a very polarizing movie. I think there are some people that would watch it and say, this is incomprehensible, I can't piece this together. It's very non-linear in the way the story is told. But for me, for whatever reason, as I said, it just wormed its way into my head. It's one of those movies, if it's I'm flipping channels and it's on TV, I'm going to stop and watch it because I just want to figure this puzzle out. And since you mentioned uh, 
early aughts um, sort of punk band, I'll, I'll give you a quick recommendation there as well. There's a band out of Canada called Tokyo Police Club, which is sort of a post-punk band from that period of time. Uh, they sound sort of like the Strokes. So there, okay. there, there are two unsolicited recommendations for you. And That sounds great. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. We want to once again thank our guest, Kendall Berger, a nurse in the medical ICU at UVA Health, for joining us today and for sharing her very personal and powerful story. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.